Welcome to The Fundamentals, a podcast focused on the incredible research and researchers here at Michigan Medicine. I'm your host, Kelly Malcolm. And I'm Jordan Gobig. In this week's episode, we're going to talk with a UM researcher about our microbiomes, and more specifically, the lung microbiome and how it impacts asthma. Asthma is caused by inflammation, and inflammation as a topic is a research priority area for the medical school. It's a really important one because inflammation affects almost every bodily system. But before we jump into our interview today, let's share one research story that we found interesting this week. Okay, so I'm going to go with the microbiome theme. So I did some digging in our online science publication, Health Lab, and found an article about researchers at the medical school who led a study that points to the gut microbiome as a potential regulator of body temperature. There was to me a fascinating quote from the article that I just wanted to read out loud, which said that human genetics haven't meaningfully changed in the last 150 years, but changes in diet, hygiene, and antibiotics have had a profound effect on our gut bacteria. And a story I found interesting was that Michigan researchers were able to develop an algorithm that can be used to determine who's at risk for kidney damage after surgery for a very scary sounding condition called abdominal aortic aneurysm, which is an enlargement of the aorta. As always, we'll provide links to the full articles and info about our featured guest in the show notes. Now let's get to the guest. Dr. Ariangela Kozik is a research investigator at the University of Michigan in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Kozik's primary interest is conducting translational microbiome research to understand inflammatory diseases. She is interested in the application of biopsychosocial models of disease and an advocate for equity in science and academia. She is the co-founder and vice president of the Black Microbiologists Association, also known as Black in Microbiology. Welcome, Ari. Thank you. Happy to be here. Very excited to get to know you. Um, I've also heard that you are kind of a podcast veteran, so I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I this is my again. I think I mentioned I, I've listened to. I'm a big time listener, first time uh, host for any of these, so I'm excited to have you here. Um, as Kelly and I had mentioned, that we, you know, we want to we're the fundamentals. So we want to jump into some of those fundamentals um, to give our audience, you know, an understanding, um, a kind of a baseline understanding of your research um, as we dive deeper throughout this episode. Um, so the first question that I was curious about as I was going through um, your your wonderful website, by the way, is um, about the human microbiome. I know that's um, um, the major component to what you do and what you study. Um, So I was curious if you could um, kind of just walk through and answer um, if a person's microbiome can change um, and what type of factors would typically impact your microbiome. Right. Yeah. So um, microbiomes do change. So um, when we're talking about uh, microbiome, we're talking about not only the microorganisms that are on us and in us, but also their genetic content. So like all of their genes and we get our microbiomes like very, very early um, in life and they are not static. Like they 
They're very dynamic. They change um, as we grow. Um, they change in response to our surroundings and things that we are exposed to. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why this is a really interesting discipline because there's so many things that we don't know about how the microbiome is interacting with our other body systems, but we know that it's really important. So um, one of the major things that we know um, now from studying the microbiome of the gut is like diet is really important. Um, what you eat because our microbial residents um, help us digest our food. Um, they um, help protect us from infections, from um, pathogens. Um, but beyond just diet, like, you know, our medications can change it. Um, your environment can change it. We are finding out that a lot of factors around, you know, how and when you're born make a difference. So whether or not you are born um, by C-section or vaginally, whether or not you are breastfed or formula fed, all of those things impact the assembly of your microbiome that stays with us for our whole lives. So it's really cool. I agree that it's super cool. <laughs> it is. It's so interesting. Um, although I'm sure too, like I, I generally know what a microbiome is. It's so funny though. Like my in-laws, like they'll eat, like they'll drink kombucha and they'll like, after a week, they're like, it messed with my microbiome too much. <laughs> like, like, and I'm like, does it, did it like really hit you that quickly? Or, you know, maybe, maybe you're just getting older and the acidity was a little too much. Um, so I think it's really, it is really fascinating. It's really interesting. Um, and I, as somebody who gave birth via C-section unexpectedly, I learned, knew nothing about it. So after the fact I was researching and did not realize that, yeah, it can like have an impact on my daughter Lennox's microbiome, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. It's so, so fascinating. Um, but as I talk about myself having a C-section, I um, also thought it was really interesting that the path that you've gone down is actually very different, which is asthma. Um, so I'm so curious to hear more about, you know, I know so many people with it. It impacts, um, I mean, it's, I feel like it impacts everyone's lives in a way because people live with someone, who, even if you don't have it, you live with somebody who has it. Um, or you have a close friend or family member who may have been impacted by it. So I'd love to hear what led you down that path to studying asthma and the microbiome. Yeah. So um, after graduate school, I really wanted to, I have been working on um, animal models of inflammatory bowel disease. And I was really interested in, you know, moving into the translational space and working with um, human data sets. I um, also really enjoy bioinformatics and data science. And so I was really, I'm looking for an opportunity to, you know, get more training in how that is, um, how we do that in a more clinically relevant setting. So um, I took a postdoc here um, at Michigan in the pulmonary division with um, Yvonne Huang, who does asthma and COPD um, research and as it relates to the microbiome. And so I was fascinated by that because um, most of my training had been in the gut microbiome space. And so like the respiratory microbiome was like a newer area. We didn't used to think that um, the respiratory tract had a microbiome. So it was one of those areas where there was like a lot more things that we didn't really understand. And I was, I guess, inherently interested in asthma because I struggled with it as a child. Um, and I know a lot of people in my life who deal with it. And it also, I've always 
recognized it as one of these conditions where we don't know everything that there is to know because, you know, sometimes you go to the doctor and it's like, okay, well, like some people have like, you know, smoke will set off their um, asthma symptoms. For me, you know, it was exercise induced as a child. So if, you know, in gym class, like I just, I couldn't recover from um, the things that we were doing. So there's like all the, the differences and things that like trigger people's um, asthma. So like, I knew like, this is a really interesting disease because it doesn't like present the same way. And so my, the research we were doing in the lab was trying to understand why that is actually. So knowing that asthma isn't just one uniform condition that manifests the same in everyone, like it's very heterogeneous, like there are different um, manifestations of it. Some people um, respond to the treatments that exist. Some people don't at all. Some people um, have an easier time. Some people have very severe disease that really impacts um, their quality of life. And knowing that um, the microbiome was involved was fascinating to me. And so I wanted to continue to do research to understand what was going on there and why um, the disease manifests so differently. So that's how I went from um, gut microbiome and IBD to respiratory microbiome and asthma. One of the biggest shocks to my system um, when I started working at Michigan was learning about the lung microbiome before I had covered some of the research coming out of the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine. I didn't know that. And Ari, you have in particular taught me a lot about that. And it's interesting to, to think that we have bacteria that are doing probably good things in our airways. When we think about bacteria in our airways, we're thinking about being sick, but uh, it's really intriguing that there are bacteria there that have functions that we probably don't fully understand yet. Um, but I also wanted to kind of talk about inflammation because asthma is an inflammatory condition, right? Mm -hmm. And inflammation as a whole, it, we kind of touched on it in our first podcast with Dr. Kunkel. Inflammation is behind a lot of the diseases that, af that afflict us. And it's one of the med school's priority research areas. So why are you in particular interested in studying inflammation? Um, because inflammation is is one of those things. I mean, it's, <clears throat> I feel like it kind of gets a bad rap <laughs> sometimes because um, it is behind a lot of um, health conditions, but like inflammation as a mechanism is a normal part of our body's response to things, you know, it's, it's one of the ways that our body goes, Hey, you know, something's wrong. We got to, you know, get our um, defense mechanisms in gear to figure out what's going on. So it's uh, really serves a really important function because it, you know, activates a lot of the, the mechanisms that we have to protect us and to heal um, repair or to start repair when there's damage. But the problem happens when um, there's inflammation that happens someplace where it shouldn't, or if the inflammation never resolves. So if there is some sort of inflammation that just continues to go on um, in like a chronic fashion, then you can have ongoing damage that is bad for you. And so like that kind of um, dynamic is underneath a lot of the, you know, chronic conditions that people have, like things that you can get that aren't, that don't go away. Um, so the chronic inflammation, inflammation related diseases are things that we don't really have good answers for like how to make that inflammation stop or like understanding what 
the balance, the thing, whatever it is that went off balance that kickstarted the whole like process. And so that is something that's really important to study. And I think if we can understand, you know, the dynamics of what's going on there, especially how the microbiome is involved, the impact could be, you know, exponential because there are so many diseases that are, um, could be affected by that dynamic. Right, exactly. Um, you kind of touched on it when you were talking about being interested in asthma. Um, I mean, my dad had asthma as a child. He did have symptoms as an adult as well, um, you know, because he's super handy. So if he he was refinishing our basement, I remember this vividly because my mom was traveling and my dad was doing DIY projects in our basement and some of the dust was triggering his asthma symptoms and he felt like he had to sleep in a chair like sitting up because he wasn't you know sure if he'd be able to breathe and it was really really scary to me as a, as a child so I know that asthma is one of these conditions that really is different from person to person and I I know that you're really interested in that that element that diseases vary from person to person and that in order to address those diseases, you need to take a very precise look at what it, you know, how diseases manifest in person and people. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about your interest in precision health? I know that you are a member of the precision health um, initiative. Can you kind of explain what that means to you as a researcher and the types of questions that you want to answer? Yeah. So um, precision health or precision medicine is, you know, this idea that we should be able to provide, you know, the right interventions to the right people at the right time and the right place. And so it's kind of different from approaches that are very generalizable, where, you know, there's a general process that applies to a large, large number of people or things that we can find out through research, where we're looking at a particular trend across a really large sample size and knowing that, you know, for the most part, like, you know, A plus B equals C, like in this large group of people. But we also know that that's not how life works. I mean, it's one of the things that the pandemic has, I think, taught everyone is that it's really brought home the fact that like a pathogen can impact people's bodies wildly differently. You know, like there are people I know who, um, who got COVID and it was like barely like they had the sniffles for a few days, maybe they sneezed once or twice and, you know, <laughs> then it was fine. But there are other people I know who it, you know, affected them in really huge ways and who um, have had it like two years ago and they're still, they still don't feel like themselves, like they don't feel back to normal. And so it was a really, I think, a really impactful thing for a lot of people to realize that, you know, we don't really know how something is going to interact with everyone's body. And we don't have good ways to predict what that's going to be. We don't have good ways to be able to have treatments that maybe some folks would need that other people don't need. And so <clears throat> that is kind of the, the what drives me in thinking about how precision health and precision medicine is relevant, because ideally, like we want to be able to help everybody and understand what's going on in everyone's, you know, condition so that everybody can have care that can really help them. And I think that that is not always, well, I mean, it's 
not even always, it's not easy um, to do because it requires a really good understanding of what the you know basic mechanisms are and then how those things can differ from person to person. But it also is going to be a really like data intensive endeavor as a, as a practitioner practitioner of data science you know knowing that like there are so many different ohms that we can study you know there's the genome and then there's the epigenome and the transcriptome and um, the metabolome and understanding how um, those all those different pieces fit together in each person I think there is an enormous amount of potential there for us to be able to kind of get at some of these more unique um, situations where we have you know the same, process or the same pathogen that can impact people so differently. And there's so many conditions where we have, you know, thought that this was one way and it was affecting everybody, but now there's subtypes of these different conditions like diabetes or obesity, asthma is another one, you know, COPD, like there are so many, um, and usually inflammation of some type is involved. (laughs) So um, that's another reason why I'm like, huh, okay, I wonder what's going on there. But I think the promise of precision medicine, it will help us better understand human diversity um, because there is a lot that we don't, that we don't really know how all these pieces fit together. And I think it's really important. I think we all know that certain groups of people are at have higher amounts of risk factors for developing asthma through no fault of their own. Um, Black people have higher rates of asthma. I think Detroit is one of the hardest hit areas in the country for asthma. And um, how does this fact kind of factor into you looking at asthma and you as a science, as a Black scientist, um, and I guess this is sort of a way for you to also talk about the Black Microbiologists Association. What does it mean to work at that intersection of, you know, being a Black scientist, being a Black person, knowing that there are diseases that affect affect Black people at, at higher rates? Right. Yeah. So um, that's one of the things that's really important to me because I think... Um, I'm really invested in trying to correct the record because a lot of diseases where we see, you know, differential risk or differential rates by, you know, whatever group, especially if it's like a racial or ethnic group, a lot of times um, we ask questions that um, have an underlying assumption that there's some sort of different biology at work within these different groups of people. Um, And that's not the case. (laughs) So um, what we know, especially in the US um, as like different racial groups, like those terms are social in nature, they are not biological in nature. Um, And, you know, we um, assume that our you know, constructs that we talk about, um, we're talking about different racial groups, means that there's some, you know, underlying mechanisms like that my body functions a different way than someone who is not Black. Um, But those descriptors that we use, actually, I I argue that they were we're doing ourselves a huge disservice by relying on them um, because they don't parallel meaningful biology. Like, so if we're talking about, you know, um, a particular disease in Black people. Like, what do we mean by that? Do you mean, you know, African-Americans um, as an ethnic group? Do you mean, you know, does that include people from the Caribbean? Does that include, you know, 
recent African immigrants, like there's um, a lot of um, diversity that is caught up in these terms that we just use. And so when we're thinking about them from a medical or scientific perspective, I think it's really important to start to deconstruct um, the way that these terms are used, because I really think that it, it, it obscures what we could otherwise be seeing in data if we if we stop relying on these things. Now, I don't want that to sound like I'm saying that we shouldn't pay attention to the differences in the groups, but it's more so that knowing that the differences that we pick up are more more than likely um, the result of eco-social factors in environment or these other structural or systemic things um, and not like inherently based in the biology. And yeah. asthma is a really great field to be in to look at this because one of the things that we know impacts like your asthma risk or your respiratory health is pollution, um, for example. And we also know that because of, you know, historical practices like, you know, redlining, communities of color have been concentrated in very densely populated areas that have been you know, zoned near industrial areas. And so we are more likely to be exposed to industrial pollutants um, at high levels. We know that in places like Jackson, Mississippi right now, where they're dealing with a crisis without having safe water to drink, the same thing in Flint, Michigan, like we are continually for systemic, structural and historical reasons, um, having these prolonged exposures that damage like our health. So when we see outcomes where there's, um, you know, Black American children are four times more likely to die um, from asthma than white American children. Um, our our question shouldn't be like, you know, what's different about their bodies instead? What's different about their surroundings? Like what's different about the systems that they exist in? And so um, part of my work is really trying to like bring that reality to the forefront. Um, and I think the pandemic also has helped in this in this regard as well, because we again had, you know, people of color who were much more um, severely impacted, especially early on. And there were, you know, people who were trying to figure out like, well, maybe there's some gene or maybe there's some specific thing, but it's like, or it could be that we are more likely to be in jobs that don't let us stay home mm -hmm. when we are sick. And so we're more likely to be exposed at higher um, rates. And so I think typically those kind of conversations have existed around the periphery of medicine and science, but they really, really, really need to integrate them into what we understand, because I think that's really important to understand the context of the things that we're studying so that we can actually get to the bottom of the mechanisms and not miss something important because we're focused on these other um, constructs that don't have anything to do with like the pathology of what's happening. That's why I was so excited to have you on. <laughs> I really wanted you to be able to explain that to our listeners. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really fascinating. And thank you. If you kind of went back to, yeah, some of the questions that I had earlier and kind of uh, shifting gear slightly to, you know, other areas in your professional experience. Um, I saw, and um, you have a very active, as a social media person, you have a very active Twitter um, for your Black Microbiologist Association. So it, you know, it looks like a really wonderful, thriving community. Um, and from your background, I'd seen that this was something that you're, you've been a founder in. So I'd love to just get a little bit more on, you know, when, when was the Black Microbiologist Association born? Um, you know, how is it going? Um, and like, what's going on in that space? Yeah, sure. So um, the um, 
the BMA, as we affectionately call it, um, was, um, is like the, I guess, phase two of what became of Black and Micro. And so that started in August of 2020, um, after um, we were, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, we, you know, as um, Black microbiologists, my friend, uh, a friend of mine and I, um, you know, had really been really involved in our own personal circles and communities and trying to educate people usually you know our families and friends about like you know this virus is real like there are real impacts like you need to protect yourselves um trying to help them wade through the you know mountain of disinformation that they were encountering online or on on um in other social media um platforms and so you know we were talking to each other as part of you know trying to you know find support um, and then this is also around the time where we witnessed like a lot of um, racial violence um, in that summer. Uh, that was kind of like at the end of the summer. And so as a response to some of those events, there were other um, groups that kind of took to social media to, you know, raise awareness of the fact that, you know, Black people, you know, we are scientists, like we are um, doctors, we are you know, we are here like in society um, and we are dealing with this kind of, you know, discrimination and it's, um, you know, exhausting. And so um, we um, were watching like, you know, Black Birders Week was a huge, um, one of the first ones that really like, you know, caught my attention. And then um, there were others, you know, Black in genetics, Black in neuro, Black in chemistry. And so her and I were like, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic from this virus. Like we definitely need a Black in microbiology. And so, um, yeah, so it started um, with her, you know, sending out a tweet, like, you know, we need a Black in micro, like who wants to help us do that? And um, it really like took off from there. And so like, you know, six weeks later, we were able to have our first Black and Micro Week, which was just um, an online virtual um, conference where we had, you know, different talks and um, community building where people, um, you know, one of my favorite parts of all of the, you know, Black and X, as we now call the umbrella group of all these different disciplines. I think there is more than 80 separate, you know, Black and, you know, whatever the topic is now. And so, um, one of the hallmarks of the the weeks is having what we call a roll call where like, you know, people tweet like, you know, here I am, like I am, you know, my name is Ari, I work on the microbiome, the respiratory tract, um, and I'm here. And so that was a huge way for other people to go and see and find other, you know, Black scientists in their discipline and really connect. And that was something that I think was revolutionary because, um, we typically don't get that in the professional sphere. And um, we had, I think it was back in 2014, there was a, um, a hashtag like Black in STEM that was started by a graduate student. I think her name was Stephanie Page, but it was, you know, the roll call I think was like modeled after that because, you know, having these hashtags that people can follow and then find other people in their community is like really impactful. And so the community, really came together around that. And I went from knowing, um, you know, no other black microbiologists besides my friend to now like our membership has grown to over 300. And so um, one of them now who is um, one of the 
co-founders of the association, uh, Dr. Spriggs, is also here at Michigan. And we had been here at the same institution for, um, I think, two years. And I had no idea. And she had no idea that we were here. And so now she's one of my um, best friends and colleagues. And so it's been a really, uh, really impactful experience to be able to create community where we did not have it. Um, before. And so because we came together for that week, after the week, we were like, well, we can't go back now, <laughs> because it was um, really obvious that we had created something to really fill a gap. And so we wanted to be able to um, have an organization that could be dedicated to providing that community space and really hoping to advocate in a larger way for, you know, raising awareness about um, the needs of Black um, scientists in all career stages, but especially those in training um, that are in institutions where they are often the only or one of few, um, you know, Black trainees in their departments or um, on campus, period. And so it's been a really crazy, wild, fast, <laughs> overwhelming at times um, journey, but we are working towards financial sustainability so that we can have like, you know, programming and professional development opportunities and resources so that we can kind of help um, people make it through their programs to be able to pursue, you know, whatever career in microbiology um, they are passionate about. And um, it's definitely, you know, filled a void um, for, um, for me personally, but also just in society. So we're really excited to see um, where things go. Um, from here on out. That's awesome. Were you, um, I'm just curious, since I work in social, were you, were you pretty active on like Twitter beforehand? I was a notorious lurker. So, <laughs> so like I had Twitter, like I followed um, people's accounts, um, but I hadn't, I, I think my, my own profile, there were like zero tweets. I was really nervous about like new social media platforms. Like it seemed like really exhausting to like think through what you're going to post. And there's like a character limit. And I'm like, how do you like, do all these things. But that was really when I started being a little bit more active was when I started noticing um, these groups come together. And then once, you know, Black and Micro happened, it was, that was, that was it. Cause I couldn't not tweet at that point. So um, yeah, it's been a really crazy journey because it's like, what's happening in real life at like the institution. And then like social media is like its own other forum um, I guess yeah. where you can like interact with people outside of, you know, what you normally would encounter on day to day. And so it's definitely been a learning curve for me because I'm typically your classic introvert. And so like putting my ideas and thoughts out there, like I'm not someone to just like tweet stream of consciousness because like I don't do that. So uh, and I know there are people that do, but um, it's definitely been a learning curve for me to be able to engage um in that way without feeling like, ooh, the internet is forever. So whatever you put out there is out there forever. No, yeah, that's, a, it's amazing. That's a great story. And it's a kind of a reminder of those positives too. Like, I feel like we kind of live in this world where there's lots of negative news thrown mm -hmm. at you and to hear, um, you know, obviously there was a need for this, which is, could be seen as a negative, but to see like the positivity and like you said, the community building is just a really cool an amazing thing. Um, and that you started it in like just a few years and during a pandemic and the growth is amazing. Yeah. It's been, it's been uh, a really cool journey for sure. It's been great to witness as a science communicator as well. Um, the representation means a lot 
to me and I know it means a lot to other people of color in the sciences because it is really isolating um, when you don't when you can't just walk down the hall and see someone who looks like you to be able to have these online spaces and now these actual associations of people who understand what you are dealing with and can provide support is really important. And it's just the first step because obviously we also have some really big systemic changes in academia and in STEM to increase the number of Black scientists, scientists of color, um, people from underrepresented groups. So I know that you have some thoughts on this. What are some of the things that academia can start to do, changes they can start to make to make these fields more accessible? One of my things that I could, like, if I could stand on top of the mountain and, like, shout, it would be hire more diverse faculty, please, immediately, ASAP. Because academia is a really special place in society because it's kind of, like, you know, the gateway to so many other sectors. Like, you know, education is critically um, important to a society. And so this, like, space, this higher education space is a place people can come to and, you know, pass through and then go on to the private sector. They can go on to government. They can go on to whatever. And so the experiences and training and things that happen in this in this place is it can be a really powerful force for you know moving towards justice and so I think that that is really important it's one of the reasons why um I you know hope to stay in the academy because I believe that um there's a lot of good that can be done here and so I think one of those things though is like students having people that they can relate to people from you know all walks of life who have been through um, lots of different experiences um, that, you know, life, you know, in the U.S. can have. And so, you know, bringing folks through to this place so that they can have role models and professors and people in um, labs and being able to see people who share your lived experience in multiple positions is really, really, really important. And because depending on like where um, students are coming from, like they may feel like they are out of place. Like I don't belong in, in this place. I don't belong in this um, discipline. And like, there are many um, folks who never see, um, you know, students who may never see like a black professor at all, like at any point of their training. Um, and so that is, you know, something that we really need to do. And so I really, really, um, think that that needs to be a priority, you know, like we really need to diversify our prof professoriate. Um, another thing is, you know, making spaces on campuses for students to build and find and have thriving communities um, that are supported, um, I think is also really important. I mean, learning complicated, complex, you know, topics, like it's hard, you know, it's, um, can be exhausting, like you need support. And so being able to provide that support is important. Um, also, I think as, you know, education continues to be more accessible, you have a broader number of students who are coming from more challenging socioeconomic backgrounds, um, people who are the first in their families to be able to go <clears throat> to a college or university. And so being able to make sure that those students have the same access 
um, as others. And that goes beyond just undergrads, but even graduate students and, you know, postdoctoral fellows. So like thinking about like, is there, you know, scholarships or like, you know, travel grants so that we can go to conferences? Is there, you know, making sure there is support for people to be able to live? Childcare is like another one of my things I could talk about forever, but like affordable, accessible childcare for trainees is really, really, really important because those are real life issues that will keep somebody out of this space if they can't figure out a way to make it work. And so I would love to see, you know, institutions be more agile um, in the way that they can pivot to support the changing face of the the learners that they are serving. And um, I think that that is, you know, that can go a huge way in one, you know, being more welcoming as a like community of learners, but also be really effective and ready to engage with society and do the role that higher education can can be and fulfill that like promise of higher education and learning. And I know I'm obviously an idealist, but but <laughs> I think that that is something that we can that's like yeah, ideals that we can work towards, you know, yeah. at least. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I want to add that it also helps us be able to engage with like the global community at large better, especially because we're facing a lot of challenges um, globally where we kind of like, I mean, climate change is a big one um, where we really need to like come together as a, you know, community of, you know, humanity and like, how do we engage with that? And so, you know, connecting scholars and learners from different countries is like another um, really important way to build, you know, human coalition to kind of work through the bigger challenges that we're, we're facing worldwide. Yeah. And some of those global connections, I feel like could really actually like kind of bring it back to you, your lab, your research, like could be impacting your research. Like you were just talking about all these environmental factors. And then you mm-hmm. think about climate change and how is that going to impact asthma and our microbiomes and right. It's really interesting and a little terrifying. Bringing it back to you, um, are there any specific projects that you're working on right now or any collaborators or upcoming or current publications that you want to give a shout out to? I always like to shout out BMA um, and our um, fabulous leadership team um, that we are, you know, all Black women led which is exciting. It is Women's History Month. So I have to put that out there. All of us are early career also. So um, just shout out to y'all for doing the things. Um, I also um, want to shout out my mentors here at Michigan, um, Yvonne Huang in the pulmonary division and Gary Huffnagle in um, also pulmonary, but also micro, um, but also in LSA. They've been really instrumental in providing a really great and enriching training environment um, for me, um, but also being very supportive of um, the other more, um, you know, outward facing um, activities and advocacy that's been really important to me during my career. So I really appreciate them. I was going to ask you, if you had all the grant money in the world, what would you study and what question would you be trying to answer? If I had all the grant money in the world, I would do a new human microbiome project um, that was full of a very, 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 very diverse population. And I would kind of throw away the, you know, categories that we use to like classify people and just, you know, look at um, the data in relation to, you know, their 
diets, you know, where they are, what they are exposed to, um, and really try to piece together like how the microbes are responding to like these very different lifestyles that can exist um, within a relatively confined, like, you know, geographic area and see how that could impact people's experiences of certain conditions. I would love to do that like over time from, you know, childhood to adulthood to just really track what's going on. Um, I tend to be of the um, mind where more data is better like the more data the better so just really collecting you know lots of different samples from like lots of different body sites and then being able to do um lots of cool microbiome mapping to kind of really understand like what's going on um, with humans and how our microbial diversity is reflected in our human diversity and the implications for um inflammatory diseases it would take a long time it would be super expensive but it would be great i'd be really excited about it <laughs> i would too okay you hear that foundations. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. The gut microbiome is what like everybody, like, again, like my in-laws know about it. Like every, like they eat something that doesn't fit with them. And it's like my microbiome, my gut microbiome isn't <laughs> happy. And then, you know, so now I've got like the respiratory and the lungs. Are there any other areas of the body that are just really interesting to you? Any other microbiomes that you haven't really explored, but you like, again, like if you could just get a crazy amount of money to focus in that body area that part of the body or that area is there anything you'd be interested in exploring um, more? I would probably continue to devote resources to the respiratory microbiome but there's also you know the skin microbiome there is the vaginal microbiome there's I mean pretty much wherever on your body there are microbes there so um I really think the potential for you know, the microorganisms to impact our brain is really fascinating. And so this, you know, gut brain axis, gut lung brain axis, yeah. lung gut axis. So like trying to put the pieces together and understand how, you know, you, you the microorganisms in your gut are communicating to the, with the ones in your lungs that are communicating with your brain somehow and vice versa. Um, that would be like super complex. Um, but that I think would be, um, really cool to, you know, understand and maybe not necessarily for the commercial reasons, but just for the sake of understanding like why. Um, Cause I think a lot of the gut microbiome stuff is people are looking for probiotics have been, you yeah. know, great, but you know, personally, I don't think there's not going to be like a probiotic to rule them all. Like that's going to like <laughs> fix all the things. Like I really think we're going to have to understand like the nuances of how the different microorganisms come together and how that's impacted by various things. And also knowing that there's more than just bacteria in your microbiome. Like there's also viruses, there's also fungi, and we know far, far less about what they're doing. So um, being able to throw some money at that would also be great. I appreciate having you on speaking truth to power, putting out there into the universe that there is someone who has your enthusiasm, who really wants to tackle these super hard questions and figure some of this out. And it makes me feel good inside to even know you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. It makes the climate change stuff a little easier. <laughs> right. So thank you, Ari. Thank you, Dr. Kozik, so much for joining us and for enlightening us and our listeners, hopefully. And I know that you claim to be idealistic, but I, f I feel in my heart, as long as we have researchers like you, and the rest of BMA and everyone else, <laughs> um, we can start to address some of these challenges. So thank you. You are so welcome. It was a pleasure. 
Yeah, it was so nice to meet you. I, I, I do feel like I've learned so much from you. And I really think that um, what you're doing is just so important, um, you know, with BMA, which I will happily shout out and, you know, give social media love <laughs> uh, from my channels too. But also, you know, like I said, like, I just don't, I personally hadn't really thought much about my respiratory microbiome and the other areas of my body. And I just think that this stuff is so important for people to hear about and understand and think about. Um, so I really appreciate the awareness that you're raising in all of these areas. Thanks for listening. The Fundamentals is part of the Michigan Medicine Podcast Network and produced by the Michigan Medicine Department of Communication in partnership with the University of Michigan Medical School. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.